And now if you have children between the ages of four and six, you may send them to children's worship training. They're also welcome to remain here with you as we turn together this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is the third longest letter of the Apostle Paul after Romans and 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking this morning at chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Our text is also found in your bulletin if you want to follow along there. And now let us give our attention to the Word of God. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you, and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray that the Lord would apply it to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would use this Your Word that You would write it upon our hearts and by the power of Your Spirit, O Lord, you would convict us. You would encourage us by your promises. And you would equip us to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you all this morning after being away last week and out of the pulpit the week before. Last week I did get a bit of a taste of what it might be like sometimes to not understand what the preacher is getting at or maybe 
think it's going on a bit long, as I had the great privilege of attending a worship service with a friend of mine. There was only one problem. The entire service, including the sermon, was in Spanish. And so I followed along as best as I could. I read my Bible. I heard Joshua's name mentioned a few times. So I was encouraged. Um, And it is interesting how the Word of God can encourage us, even if we are not capable of understanding it all, to know and to see the nods of others and the smiles on others' faces to know that the Lord is ministering in our midst. And so this morning we return once again to our series on Christian living in a post-Christian world. And as we have gone through this, you recall that there have been some some hard-hitting applications in this. We have been told by God's Word that we are to submit to authorities even when we're not very happy with them. That we are to watch our language even though it's so easy to slip. That we are to practice purity in our lives in the midst of a world that seems like an open cesspool. And now this morning we have another opportunity to learn to be countercultural. And that is to show, to show stewardship in a spendthrift world. We live in a world in which it seems that anything that we have, whether it is money or a house or a car or a skill or news, burns a hole in our pocket. And we have to get rid of it as quickly as possible and get on to the next and newest and biggest thing. But you see, the Bible has a very different view of our lives. It's a longer-term view. It's a view that understands that everything that we have, that is far more than money. Everything that we have is the Lord's. Our gifts, our relationships, our health, our minds... All that we have comes to us on loan, as it were, from God. Because after all, that's what a steward is. It's someone who receives the property of another and keeps it in good stead and uses it wisely. And so this morning from this text, I would like us to see three things. First, to see what it is like to be about sowing a habit of giving to the Lord. Sowing. That is planting, not crafting, sowing. And then secondly, watering a confident dependence on the Lord. Because of course, after you plant, you must water. God is giving us a good reminder of that this morning. And then the third thing is reaping a harvest from the Lord. For we sow and we water and then we are able to reap by what the Lord has given to us. Well, let's begin then by looking at what it's like to sow a habit of giving to the Lord. Paul opens up this text to get our attention. He's a good preacher. He says, the point is this. Pay attention. Let me tell you about it. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Now, we have to understand this fits very well in the context of all that we have been doing in this series And that is, all of the things that we are to do, all of the encouragements toward our behavior, are results, not causes of God's work in us. 
It is the evidence of what God has already done in us. Just as we don't clean up our language in the hopes that God will love us, just as we don't respect authority in the hopes that God will smile on us, we are not stewards or generous or givers in the hopes that that will put us in God's good graces. This is something that the Lord has already done. You see, the grace that God gives to us produces a graciousness in us. It's infectious, as it were. And most importantly, as we think about living in a post-Christian world, the character of God that He has implanted in us shows the difference of what it means to believe on Jesus to the world. It's testimony. It's a bullhorn you don't even need to buy batteries for. Because you see, God gives grace without measure, doesn't He? And God Himself is a cheerful giver. And as we are to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, we are to then emulate and to see God's work in us in this same fashion. And so Paul begins here saying we need to take proper planning. We need to start by thinking with our mind. And he says, let me tell you what this is like. And he uses a very deliberate analogy. It's it's not exactly first impression for us because, quite frankly, not many of us are farmers anymore. I ministered for two years amongst farmers and they got this immediately. But if you think about it, this analogy of farming is perfect because it's very practical. It's very understandable. Some of you that have never even spent a day on a farm understand the principle of you plant things, they're watered, they grow. You also understand for that that it requires forethought and action. You don't just expect a garden to spring up in your backyard, do you? No, you have to measure out the area. You have to prepare the soil. You have to get ready for insects and animals. You have to set up the twine. You have to space the plants. You have to figure out how you're going to water. You have to give forethought and planning. That's what Paul's saying here. You see, oftentimes, we think about generosity and giving as something that spontaneously hits us out of the blue. And Paul says that's not how we're supposed to think about it. We're supposed to prepare our hearts to think about the gifts that God has given to us so that we are prepared throughout all of our lives to be generous with others. We also have to understand that there is a long-term view in mind. No one plants a tree and expects next week to hook up a hammock in the shade, right? No one plants a garden and expects to eat those wonderful red tomatoes the next month. My my great aunt took about three quarters of her backyard in the city of Niagara Falls and everywhere you could possibly imagine there was the extension to her garden all over the place. And whenever I went to go visit my grandparents and my great aunt uh, in Niagara Falls with my family, we would do the normal things, but you always had to take the tour of the garden. You had to. She would show you everything that she had planted. And these are where the tomatoes are going to be. And this is where the parsley is. Oh, and this is the lettuce. Oh, we're going to have salad in about six weeks. Okay. We'll be back in Houston, but I'm sure it'll be great salad. 
But you see, there's planning and forethought that goes into this. It is not a one-off event. It is the way in which we live our lives. Paul puts, this, puts it this way in Galatians. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so therefore, do not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You have to persevere. You have to be ready for the long haul. Character is not formed in us in a day. Making a difference in the world requires commitment and a plan. But it's not just what we think. There also needs to be a proper attitude about how we view stewardship and generosity. You see, Paul says in verse 7, Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says each one must. This is how you have to give. And you have to give as you have made up your mind. What Paul is saying here is, God doesn't want casual giving. He doesn't want you to think about causes you should support or people you should help or things you should do by, oh, well, what do I have today? He doesn't want you to be flippant about it. He doesn't want you to go by the seat of your pants. He doesn't want you to even be impulsive about it. You see, Christian generosity is not about whipping people up into a frenzy so they feel like they have to do something now that they haven't thought about before. No! Christian generosity is thinking in long terms. How can I be of a benefit to the kingdom? How will I do that five years from now? Ten years from now? How will I raise my children so that they will leave a legacy of kingdom building and stewardship and generosity. You see, far too often in the world today, there is a sense of manipulation that comes about, seeking to drive us to a decision, and a decision, quite frankly, that we regret later. This is the way the world works. It convinces you you need the newest car. It convinces you you need a bigger house. It convinces you you need to do this or that or the other. You need to support a cause not because you understand it or know the charity or are moved by it, but because you see a flicker of an image of a child crying on the television. And therefore, we open up our wallets. Now, far better to be engaged in the ministry of mercy, to know about these causes, to have a heart and a prayer for things that are going on and to be marked by a life of generosity. The text here actually says that you are to decide ahead of time what you are to give. It's a very interesting word. You are to choose, just like God chooses, you are to choose beforehand, it says. The second thing that Paul says is your attitude cannot be one of reluctance. Now, this is a sharp word. When he says don't give reluctantly, what he means is don't give with pain. You know what that's like, don't you? If you don't, just picture another thing of giving. Blood. Y'all fired up to give blood? Now, you may think it's a good cause. You may be ready to do it. It may be something that you're committed to doing. But nobody says, bring the needle on and make it a big one. 
Right? You see, that's not how we ought to focus our giving. Paul says we shouldn't be reluctant. There shouldn't be something like, okay, I'll look away. Tell me when it's over. No. Instead, we are to give with an eagerness. We're not to give reluctantly, hoping that if we give, someone will give back. Let me say to you, it is a doctrine from the pit of hell that says, if you give back to God, that will be great. He'll send you ten times back what you gave. God is not a great stockbroker. He doesn't have a great return on investment. That is not why we give. We don't give reluctantly hoping to get something back to us. We give because we have been given and we want to see that passed on in the kingdom. The third thing that Paul says is we are not to give by compulsion. We're not to be compelled. Now, the first thing that we think about there, I think, is the kind of giving sometimes that you have to give when a not-so-fine uh, gentleman comes up to you with a weapon and says, hand over your wallet. Now, certainly that's compulsion, but I think what Paul means is something that escapes our attention a little bit. What he means is we are not to give out of a sense of guilt. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you have given in to some besetting sin and you are repentant about it and you want to be back in God's good graces. And so you think, I know, I'll write a check. No, 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 I know better. I'll donate a week's worth of time to a ministry. No, 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 no. I will dedicate my life. No. Don't give out of a sense of guilt. You can give your body to be burned, Paul says. You can give everything that you own. You can spend every second of your time and it will not move you one inch closer to the throne of God. Because that's not how God works. You see, we're not to give by compulsion, thinking that somehow God will bless us when He sees what good people we are. We're not to be compelled. We're not to give by a way of hoping to pay off a lack of service. We think about all the things we could have done but didn't. We could have volunteered here, or we could have volunteered there. We could have taught Sunday school here. We could have prayed there, and we didn't get around to it. Well, we could just write a check. Oh, well, now we could make up for our shortcomings by doing double-time work. No. Paul says, don't give out of compulsion, but give freely. The other thing we need to remember is, there are people that are going to tell you, if you give, it will show you are more spiritual than someone else. That's not true. It is an exercise of our graces. It is a work that the Lord does in us to give us a generous heart. But the mere act of giving does not make you more spiritual. It does not. It's the heart. It's the generosity that comes from our very fiber of our being that shows that the work of the Holy Spirit is enacted in us. We give from an appreciation of the grace that God has given to us. 
We don't give casually. We don't give reluctantly or by compulsion. But the third thing here that we see is not only do we give in a proper attitude, we also give with a proper perspective. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to smile as the plate goes by? Does that mean when we are just fed up with all of the kids running around our Sunday school class that we have to buck up and show that we're the happy, happy, happiest people all the time, time, time? No. What it means is we have to understand that we have been blessed by being given and we are blessed through the act of giving. Because the only reason we have anything to give is because God has given it to us first. Have you thought about that? God gives you the blessing of being able to help others. Any skill that you have, any insight that you have gained, any knowledge of the Word of God comes from the Lord and He has given it to you for His kingdom building purposes. He is blessing you through blessing others. What a great God we serve. And I want to remind you about this. That as Paul talks here about generosity and giving, he has not drawn a very narrow box around drachmas or shekels or dollars. No. When we're talking about being stewards and being generous, quite frankly, that's the easiest thing to do. Isn't it? It's easier to write a check than it is to spend a day with someone who's weeping because they're hurting. It's easier to reach into your pocket, isn't it, than it is to spend your time in kingdom building. We're all so pressed for time, aren't we? We always make that calculation. And you see, if we are to cultivate an atmosphere, a being of generosity, it has to encompass our entire selves. It can't be just about what we do with our stuff. It has to be how we commit our minds, how we commit our talents, and how we commit our time. All of them for the purpose of building up the kingdom. The second thing that we see is not only are we to cultivate a a sowing, but we are also to water this blessing that God has given to us and to water a confident dependence on the Lord. Paul picks this up in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do we trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord here today? Because you see, this is where the rubber meets the road. Who is God? Paul tells us that God is powerful. It's kind of hidden in that word able. We think able, we think God's able to skate by. No, no, no. God is powerful. And God is wise. And God is generous. Have you burned through your ration of oxygen today? Oh, no? Are we going to run out of water? How about heat? 
You've prepared for the cold spell that comes when God turns off the sun? No. God is generous that He gives above and beyond anything we need. We can be wasteful with the things that He gives to us. We even are wasteful with the grace that He gives to us. Think about that. He gives us grace and we continue to sin. We waste it. And God knows this. Because He knows that we are a work in progress. That once we are His children, once we are justified by faith, that we are not immediately like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a work and He lavishes His grace upon us. He continues to give and to give and to give. That we might be like His Son. And what has He done for us? Well, He is the one who broke into our lives, isn't He? He is the one who has made grace abound in us. He is the one who is with us. And when we know what God has done, then we can understand what He will do. Paul reminds us of this. Do you get the hint that Paul is making here? That God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, in every good work, we will abound. God gives us enough that we need. It's not just sufficiency. It's all sufficiency. It's not just in some ways. It's in all things. It's not just sometimes. It's at all times. And He equips us to do every sort of good work. This is what God does. Do we trust Him with our very being? And do others see this trust in us? Look at verse 9. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, the interesting thing is, as you read that verse, you may think it's talking about God. He gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It's actually referring to the believer. Paul is quoting Psalm 112, specifically verse 9. And you see, he's describing the godly man, where in verse 5 of verse of Psalm 112, it says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Verse 9, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What Paul is saying here is a principle that you know well. Anyone can talk a good game. Can you live it? You know, we can talk about love, can't we? But husbands and wives know what real love is by what we do and how we show it. There's a reason why, gentlemen, it's important to get your wives flowers on your anniversary. Even though they will die soon. Now, you can can use wise principles of stewardship, at least I do. I never buy my wife flowers ever on Valentine's Day. Never. I always buy them the day after when they're half price. That's that stewardship in me. But, but the principle is it's not about the flowers. It's about a manifestation of showing love. And that's what's going on here. Young people, it is not enough to say to mom and dad that you will obey them. They need to see it. 
You see, that makes it real. We understand it. We can grasp on it. Actions speak louder than words. We all know this, and Paul is telling us this. And the actions here that he is saying is, when we give freely, when we give generously, when we don't hold on to things, we are saying, this is not my last dollar. This is not my last piece of bread. God will take care of me. This is not my last car. This is not my last hour. God will take care of me. I trust Him. I don't need to hoard. I don't need to be worried. I can trust that God is going to be there for me every single day of my life. And when people see that, it shocks them. It absolutely shocks them. You mean you have it planned? You mean you don't have everything worked out? I plan as well as I can. But I trust the Lord. And the third and final thing that we see is after we've sowed and after we have watered, we then can reap. And there are three kinds of harvest that come from this. The first we see is that the giver is enriched. You see this here in verse 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so again, he uses this harvest analogy. You know what it's like when farmers do this. They, the harvest produces food, but it also produces next year's seed. Right? And it also produces a surplus so that you can give to others. And that's what Paul is saying. The giver is enriched. When you are generous with your time, with your talent, and your treasure, they will not dry up. God will continue to use you. And you see, we have to understand that this blessing comes down to us and it is a spiritual blessing. Do not fall for the lie of the world or of the devil who says, if I give, oh, I'm going to get back. I'm going to make out. I'm going to give to this wonderful charity. I'm going to give to the church. And when I get home, there's going to be a BMW in the driveway. Oh, God, God wants me to be blessed. He's going to somehow bring me a bigger house. Somebody's going to come work on my house, add a new bedroom. I'm not even going to know it. Now, we, we think this is foolish, but when I was in seminary, we were down the street from a church where people had so bought into this lie that when they would have Bible conferences, they would go to Hertz and Avis and rent Cadillacs so they could show how much faith they had in God by bringing a Cadillac into the driveway. That's not what God's talking about here. What He means is we are enriched spiritually like he says in Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You see, we are enriched spiritually, and we are enriched because as we give of our time and our talents and our treasure, we have to come in interaction with others around us. And so the covenant community is built up. And so Paul can say, 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are blessed through giving. The second thing that we see that is a result of this harvest is that the Lord is glorified. Do you see this here in verse 11? That through your generosity, you will produce thanksgiving to God. You know what that is. You've had that experience. You're down and the Lord sends someone to pray with you. And what do you do? You thank the Lord for that person. You have a need. And someone meets it. And what do you do? You thank the Lord. You see, our generosity produces thankfulness in others because when we give from a heart that is generous and when it is in line with what Paul is saying here is they don't see that it comes from us. It's not our money. It's not our time. It's from God. We're just a pass-through vehicle. And they begin then to give great thanks to the Lord and to glorify Him because He is the one who has done that work. And He gets all of the glory. How countercultural is that? You see, now, in the world today, we want everyone to know what we've done, what we've given, how much we have given to other people. Paul says, have your attitude be such that God gets all the glory. There's a third and final thing. Not only is the giver enriched, not only is the Lord glorified, but the people of God are brought closer together. Look with me here at verse 14. The generosity of your contributions causes them to long for you and to pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You see, when we cultivate generosity in our hearts, it brings us closer together. We want to be together. We want someone is generous with us. We want to be generous back. We want to be built up. We want to be together. It drives us to prayer for each other. It reminds us of others' needs when our needs are met. And we see that God's grace is at work in His people. And when we see that God's grace is at work in His people, our little foibles and sins don't seem so big, do they? When you look at me and you see me, you're not going to be very happy. But when you can look at me and see Christ at work in me, you can overlook all of the rottenness that God is still cleaning out of my soul. And you see, this is a wondrous opportunity. Because we have to understand that as we think about stewardship, as we think about generosity, verse 15 is our final and controlling verse. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. For the only reason we are even talking about this is because God has given the greatest gift that could ever be given. He has given the gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem sinners like you and like me. It's Jesus that makes all of this possible. So as you think about your life and your desire to 
Serve the Lord. Remember that it all starts, continues, and ends with Jesus. Let's pray.